Welcome everybody to the After Ed Podcast with Jason Vest, where we interview thought leaders, educators, and students from around the world, people that just aren't content with the status quo. Why should you listen to me? Because I'm an educator right there in the trenches doing it every single day. Please tune in. Hey everybody, I am humbled, I'm honored, we are truly in the presence of greatness here. I have Barbara Bray with me today. Welcome, Barbara. Oh, thank you, but you honor me. <laughs> Greatness, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I, I I stumbled upon your work, and I mean, you are an author, you're a speaker, you have your own podcast, you're a coach, and then my personal favorite is uh, your self-scribed uh, change maker label. And, you know, I, I know that you're really focused uh, on a lot of uh, UDL and design thinking and you know, learner-centered environments, and, you know, I really just want to get right to it. So why do you think that the U.S. and the world today, uh, to use the title of your blog and your hashtag, uh, why do we need to rethink learning? Oh, um, I think it's a crucial time because the world is changing so much right now, and we've been... Uh, teaching our kids for so long, even my age, for a world that doesn't exist anymore. And there's so many, I, I, I've talked to kids, I've talked to teachers, um, and many of us are like in a quandary. We want to, you know, push out, try something new, and then the system squashes us and doesn't let us do that. And so I... I guess I'm, you know, one of those people that just push against um, something when I know it's not right. And sometimes it, you know, I, I get pushed back. But um, I think I, I, it's like I'm on a mission. I have to do it. Yeah. So I want to stop you there. You, you mentioned uh, just wanting and, and feeling like you had to push back at, at what point in your career did you notice that? I mean, was it was it an aha moment that you had? Was it a particular experience, or is it something that just kind of evolved over time? Well, I had it all along when I was young. I I was told I couldn't read when I was reading. Um, I just didn't read like what they gave me to read. So all along, I said when I was young, I got to do something about this. This is terrible. So I learned how to do school just to get out of school. Yeah. Which is not the way it should be, right? Right. So that's number one. That was like when I was little. <laughs> then when my kids, who were labeled gifted, um, they were just given worksheets. I said, "What is wrong with our system? We can't do this like this." Um, and so when I started teaching, I was pushing the envelope. I was doing crazy things: claymation, putting green screens up when the people didn't even have or white. You know, she's doing kids with videos, and and other teachers were mad at me because it was too much noise. Yeah. So I said, I gotta do something. So I ended up teaching teachers, and then that's kind of how some of that evolved. Um, but then different things. Do you want me to keep going, or do you want? Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> go. I, I have some questions here for you, but we'll we'll keep this natural. Whatever you feel like you need to share, I'm I'm all ears. So when um, it came to No Child Left Behind, 
I was working in Oakland School District in the Bay Area, where most of the schools that are free and reduced lunch and, you know, they're high poverty. And these kids were being left behind. But we had some really amazing teachers. And when No Child Left Behind came, it, it, it the emphasis on reading and math and got rid of the arts and all the wonderful things they were doing. I, I, this is... This was put in place just to leave all poor children behind. And that was my thing. I was really scared for these kids. Yeah. So I started, you know, pushing strategies, doing projects, working with, um, luckily I was able to, with the district to do some real exciting things there through some grants. And, um, and then 2008, um, the system just fell apart. There's no money. Uh, it was just a big, mess all around the country. And so that's when I joined forces with Kathleen McCarthy and we did personalized learning. And um, that went for about four, four or five years. And then I realized, both Kathleen and I realized, we needed to go in our own direction because it was all about getting the student voice, finding the passion and the purpose, and then getting teachers on board so they found their passion and purpose. So that's where I've been going, and that's why I started the podcast. Yeah, and I mean, I just love hearing about, you know, what you knew you had to do and and focusing on teachers. And, uh, you know, you brought up the podcast. Um, You know, you've, you've had some pretty... Uh, innovative guest on uh, yourself, and I mean, uh, I don't want to name drop, but I'm definitely going to name drop. So you've had uh, Joy Kerr on recently. You've had Sylvia Duckworth, Ross Cooper, Eric Schenninger, Tom Mori, uh, Shelley Sanchez, and then uh, my personal favorite with your first episode, you had your own son on. Uh, but you know, <laughs> like, so you know, why, why was it so important for you to? So I think everybody listening can tell like what your what your goal is, but why the podcast? Why reaching out to other people? What what is the kind of reasoning behind that? Well, a lot of these people are my friends, so I started out with people I know, and um, it was really interesting. I just mentioned I'm thinking of doing a podcast, and they all went, "That's perfect for you. You're a storyteller." That's great. Can I be on your show? So that's how it kind of started. And I did it mainly because I'm searching. I know my passion is stories. My passion is writing. Um, I love the idea of telling other people's stories, but how better than to have them tell their stories and do it in a conversational way. And so I have, let's see, 30 right now, but I have 18 that I'm sitting there working on to put up. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait till you see. Here's some of the next ones. <laughs> oh, I, like, can't, I can't wait. Wow. Um, but I, they're getting better. My son is my sound engineer, and I have another editor. And um, I mean, this isn't really my business. This is just something that's getting me excited and helping tell what people are doing. Um, especially a lot of my friends who wrote books, I, I'm i really proud of what they're doing because they're making a difference. Yeah. And I think we all work together and help promote each other. It's a, it makes it even better. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's really what kind of propelled me to get involved, uh, listening to podcasts of my own, you know, reading some of those individuals' works that you had on your show. Um, and then, you know, getting back to some of those teachers that were giving you dirty looks when you were doing interesting things in school. Um, I get, I get flack for trying to, uh, you know, share my message. And, uh, you know, some people go as far as saying that I'm exploiting kids. And I couldn't disagree more that, you know, all that we're really trying to do is, is highlight what's working and get it out there because there could be somebody sitting there right now ready to make a difference, ready to do something new, and they just need to hear my story or your story or hear the successes and failures. And so I just kind of decided this year that um, I was I was going to get on the team. I, I was tired of hearing about all of the problems and the obstacles, and we just started focusing on solutions. Oh, I love that, Jason. It's uh... To me, I, when I walk into a staff room and I hear negative talk, I I have to do something about it because that negativity just is pervasive and it doesn't help. So I'm trying really hard to look at the positive and figure out ways to build on that. And so I'm lucky. I'm still working with some schools um, and I've done coaching and built coaching programs. Um, but what I find is Every time I work with a new school, a new teacher, I learn something new. Yeah. And that's what life is about. It's Learning is life. If you stop learning, you know, it may, there's so much could happen. It's, and the other thing is change is happening so fast. And if you don't change along with it, you'll be left behind. Yep. No, you're... Oh, I love it so I just, can I ask you about you? Just, are you, are you teaching right now? And Yeah, yeah. So um, basically I get to, I'm in a school system uh, just outside of Richmond, Virginia, uh, called Henrico County. And um, we have 72 schools. Uh, I am, I somehow ended up in the uh, lucky position to be allowed to teach a innovation course this year to eighth grade students. So essentially, uh, it's a bit of a hybrid. Uh, design thinking is, is one key, and then uh, entrepreneurship on the other side. Uh, we've partnered with higher ed. We've partnered with um, business community, the startup community. Uh, and it's just, it's been amazing to see um, what kids can really do when given an opportunity to not be tied down by any high stakes testing or any other mandates and they get to be creative uh, and they get to have fun again and they get to solve problems that actually matter to them. And, you know, I always tell this story. It, it The best moment I've had all year with this course uh, is one of my students who uh, at the beginning of the year didn't say a word, came in, just wasn't sure how things were going to go for her. And then now on a regular basis, uh, I get a little long winded sometimes and she'll look at me and just say, all right, Mr. Vest, you got to stop talking. Like we have work to do. Like we want to get to work. And I mean, just what, what more could you ask for as a teacher that your kids are so empowered that they don't even need you anymore, uh, to follow what they are truly interested in. So you're doing exactly what I wish I had had in school, what I wish my kids had. You know, it's 
and I love what she did <laughs> because um, we want to give the, our students that voice so they are advocating for their own, you know, their own learning. And, um, oh, what about the books? By the way, I grew up in Maryland, so I wasn't too far from you. Okay. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, so I was right in uh, Silver Spring, uh, Bethesda area. Okay, right across the Potomac <laughs> from you. So, um, but still, I'm I'm so excited. I'd love to learn more about your uh, program, especially. I, did you say that they waived the, uh, the tests? Yeah. So it is. Um, we have carved out. Basically, we have eight middle schools and. Each middle school has this, you know, study hall period. I won't call it what each school calls it, but it's a study hall period um, mixed in with some remediation on those. Uh, everybody's favorite math and English uh, courses uh, where need be. But I just went to my principal and said, hey, you know, I I can't do that. Like, I, I need to just be able to try something new. And, um, you know, this is this is key insight to anybody who's listening that's an administrator or central office staff like this is my second year at his school and he just believed in what I was doing had no idea what it was going to look like uh, but it's been nothing but positive press for everyone at the school and everyone in the district um, and yeah you know we just if we truly you know we talk about empowering students but we have to empower teachers too and be willing to take those risks uh, because the payoff has been um, exponential yeah, it's about trust. We've lost that. And if we, I mean, how wonderful for you that you have that environment and that your administration recognizes it. Give me a chance. And you might fail on some things, but look what the kids are doing. Yeah. The idea of being entrepreneurs, especially now, this is what businesses want. They want people that think on their own. And, um, not just yes, men, you know, just not saying I'll do whatever you tell me because that's not going to work anymore. And so I'm, I'm excited about your kids. Uh, you know, I'm, I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm really excited and, and I'm going to get this back to you, but I just got to say, you know, we have, uh, our assistant superintendent of instruction, uh, Dr. Beth Tigan, she has been instrumental in, figuring out how we're going to scale this because we were invited, um, myself, uh, principal at the school, and then uh, f a few other kids that were in my class to present to every principal, every specialist, every person at central office one day, uh, just about kind of the evidence of the class and what they had really taken away. And one of my, one of my little girls who's probably four feet tall, uh, grabbed the microphone and looked at every single principal in that room and said, you know, this is the only kind of learning for us. So what are you all going to do about it next year? <laughs> and I mean, I'm telling you, every person in that room probably had to, you know, swallow a little knot, but they all stood up and, and gave them a standing ovation. Uh, so it's it's been really interesting. We've had a lot of visitors since then and uh, a lot more partners showing up, but it, it's a really exciting time for us. But you mentioned, Aww. yeah, it's great. You mentioned, though, that what we've been doing just isn't going to cut it anymore uh, because things are changing. And I know that you gave a keynote in New Zealand last year talking about the future of learning. Uh, so if you would, what what is the future of learning and how do we prepare kids and 
teachers for that? Well, the future of learning is kind of, uh, it, I'm still trying to work it out because it's, it's changing so fast. Yeah. So I think that's adaptability. One of the things that I find is that you don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be willing to change at any moment and be willing to um, look at the situation and explore it and try to come up with solving solutions with others. Because the problem is many of us were taught to work in isolation. And um, as you can probably tell, I don't work that well that way. I do work alone. Um, I like to write, but I love to share. And I love to give feedback, and I love people to give me feedback. Um, but I love the design thinking process. I love to be able to iterate ideas together. And um, I don't know. We're not teaching that in other than, you know, like what you're saying you're doing. Um, there's a lot of schools in, 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 that out there that are it's an expense. But we need to really showcase those and be able to share some of the characteristics of things that are working. And what I see, one of the main things is we need to be able to teach them to self-advocate, to be able to have that agency so they have that voice of that girl that you mentioned, because they're going to have to fight for themselves. The world is different. Many of them are going to have to make their own jobs. They're going to have to find ways to survive in this new world. And technology is going to be part of it, but technology can't drive it. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to um, use that technology to help promote who they are. They're going to even have to come up with their own brand. And that's really hard. It's not a resume. I get a, do you know that I get resumes all the time? I never look at them. I'm not hiring. Right. I feel so bad for these kids and for these people. And, 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 you know, I hear from teachers all the time that are burning out and they want to get into another career. And I'm like, come on, come on, let's just figure out how you can, what is it you love? So I do a lot of thing about passion and purpose and getting that back and then modeling it with your kids so you can show that you can do anything you want to do. You can, and if it means getting a second job so you can still teach because you're a good teacher, it's just, I wish I could change the world and give teachers what they're worth. <laughs> you oh, know, value them better because they're the hardest working people I know. You know, they really are. And, and I mean, I, I get that. Um, I do. But, you know, we, we still need help. And, you know, you, you talk a lot about creativity and joy. And I have to say from my experience that I wasn't, I wasn't really getting that. Um, but this new class, uh, you know, we, we hopefully are doing this in, in the county. But I'm personally double going double down on creativity, joy, and this, you know, this innovation concept. Um, but, you know, why, why do you think that things like creativity and joy, both for teachers and students, is so important? And, you know, why are these kind of secondary goals for people these days? Well, when people don't know it is, they don't do their creativity and joy until they leave school. <laughs> they forget that learning should be fun. Learning is fun. And we make it drudgery. 
I mean, I used to see my my son who you saw he's on my um you know, he's my first podcast. Well he's also uh, constantly reinventing himself. And he's an actor, a musical director, a musician, and a beekeeper. And I'm like, beekeeper? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we were just up there. We were just in Portland and, and where he was. And uh, he said, hey, would you be interested in getting closer to the bees? Here's a bee suit. And I'm like, allergic to bees? And I thought, you know, I have to trust him. Yeah. <laughs> so I put the bee suit on <laughs> oh, wow. and I got close to the bees, held up some of the, you know, where the honey was and realized, you know, if you trust and you get believe, you can do anything. You can just do anything. And that's why I, um, I know teachers if we can just find out what they're passionate about and what they believe and they can model that, that excitement, that joy is pervasive in the classroom. It's exciting if we can bring it back into the classroom or into the school or change schools. It's not a school. It's more of a learning commons with studios of fun. You know, it just, and there's, there are places where I'm trying to recognize this. There's Darren Elwin is a principal up in South Dakota. And every Friday, the kids do I Choose. And they choose what they're passionate about and get to work on it all day. And he walks around the school with uh, his periscope and asks the kids, and what are you doing today? And the kids are like, oh, I'm having so much. And I'm doing, you know, like that. Maybe we just need to start sharing what it looks like in a school where there is fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And you know, I love how you have even gone and, and some would say it, you know, it's semantics, but, uh, you, you give workshops, except you don't call them workshops. You're, I feel like intentional about calling them play shops. So, you know, I know some people are listening and they're probably saying, yeah, you know, we, we know all this broad stuff, like this is what we want. But so getting to more like details, these play shops that you run, uh, particularly the ones on design thinking and you do UDL, what do those look like and why are those so important? Well, what I'm doing now is um, trying to figure out how to change the way we work, right? And and I I've done some stuff with Google. I've been part of their Google Teacher Academy, and with, and walking through there, it's it's like you're working, but there's play right next door. You're doing stuff, and sometimes I can't think, so I go play ping pong with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like our idea of work in school isn't like what the real world's going to be like anymore. You know, you're not just, if you are sitting in a cubicle working, I don't know if that's going to be there like that in the future because that job in a cubicle might be taken over by technology. Yeah. You see? So how can we make it so school looks and feels more like what the future could be like? And the future is, I can't think right now. Let's just stop and play, um, what do you call it, <laughs> uh, shuffleboard or something. Yeah. And start giggling and laughing again and trying to come up with ideas. Oh, some brainstorming on the wall together. See, that's the problem is we, 
we only know what we know as learners ourselves or what we were taught in school. And we, until we can think out of the box a little bit and look at places where they're thinking in different ways how to design schools and how to design learning, um, get outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I went to New Zealand, I, I visited many, many schools where they had four teachers in one large room with different areas for um, independent and group work and places where teachers sit one-on-one or in small groups. But kids were on their own. They were very self-directed. Preschool, all the way up. I, I was just amazed. And one of the things that I think we might need to do is look at why do teachers have to work in isolation? Close that door, they become like a middle manager. What if we open the doors, put windows all over, make it so teachers are working together, and then make the rooms a little bit different? So I'm coming in and trying to figure out, it's not just a play shop, it's like, how can we redesign what you're doing? So I'm trying to even work with some architects and help redesign their thinking because many architects grew up in the same schools that they think a school looks like. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it does. I can't really say, because everything I do is different depending on what they need. And so I try to bring in, no matter what, there's giggling, there's fun, there's getting up and moving around, there's designing, we're using um, different ways of brainstorming, we're doing it on the walls, but we're also doing it online, so there's all different things. Yeah, and I love in there that you mentioned when you were in New Zealand that kids were, <clears throat> you know, they had this freedom, they had this openness, autonomy, even at the preschool level. And, you know, what what I have found, I think the biggest success is that, you know, we're, we're not interested in compliance in, in this class. And, you know, I think another thing is that people hear, they see what we're doing, and it all seems great, and, you know, they don't think that it's possible. But, you know, there there are times when I'm still really frustrated with, with what's going on. I got a kid that won't put his phone away. I got a kid that's just not really uh, into it that day. But, you know, that's okay. And uh, it doesn't have to be scripted all the time, and it doesn't have to be, you know, the hammer doesn't need to be brought down uh, just because they're kids, and it's just it's really great to hear you say that and say that we need to go in that direction and how how things are changing uh, around the world. Um, and you know we can we can tell that you're clearly someone that's making a difference and you're you're doing all of these things that are best for teachers and kids. So why do you think then that still most states and legislators though are married to this concept of high stakes testing? And, you know, really, if we're if we're pushing for change and being innovative um, and still trying to meet accreditation uh, at the same time, how do we blend the two? Well, <laughs> that's a problem because I think our, our system right now is in jeopardy because there's a push for this uh, voucher system and uh, school choice, which is, I, I'm into choice, I think that should have the choice, but my concern is um, we have a lot of kids in public schools, 
and I'm a school advocate, but you got to fund it, and you also have to be able to give them the leniency so they can, I mean, not the leniency, give them the options to be able to innovate. So I know in Kentucky there was opportunities for the district, I think there were 10 districts that were uh, given the opportunity to waive uh, testing and show and prove that you can do this. You can um, change from a performance-orientated, you know, focus to a learning and we need to figure out ways that we can do more of that so that they can it's not by test scores it's more by um, demonstrating evidence of mastery or evidence beyond just the subjects show me that I have these competencies uh, so you're going to see more I'm hoping more movement to competency based education and personalized um, I was very lucky to work with Rose Colby, who wrote a wonderful book on competency-based education, and it helped me understand, and also another one is Todd Rose. He did the end of average. Our problem for so long is that we focus on, you know, the middle, and then everyone has to fit when you do standardized tests. Um and everybody is different, and we have to figure out how we build on the strengths that they have. And I personally, I'm just going to keep fighting. I really am only one person in this. There's a whole bunch of people out there trying to change it, but I don't know. You're one of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. You know, we um, one of the guys that really propelled me into taking action uh, was Don Wetrick and. Uh, he's had oh, yeah. some some really really big names on his show, uh, and there was one guy. I think it was the second episode, actually. I forget his name, but I believe he was the CEO or founder of Priceline or, or some kind of company like that. Um, but the title of the episode and the quote that's really stuck with me is "There is no they," and so I just internalized that all of these things that I feel are right and I feel need to change. They're not going to get done at the speed that I want them to get done if it's not me doing it. So, yes, there there are many, many people who are much further along in, in moving the needle. But I'm, I'm with you. Something has to be done. And, you know, if, if one person in every school takes that initiative to really change some things, I mean, that's how we really flip the system. I do have to say that I think the students coming up, are different. After what happened in Florida and those kids that are fighting for gun control and and I met some amazing students when I went to South by Southwest um, the Asian conference um, that are, I'm I'm blown away by them. I think I'm, I'm a voice. I can do some things but I need to get out there and share their voices. They are the ones that are going to shake up the system. Um, because I remember when you think of the 60s, you know, like the late 60s, it was the kids that made a difference about Vietnam War. Yeah. It was the kids that did it. And, and civil rights. Um, I think we just have to move by the side and let them, and let the voices be heard. 
By the way, I, I interviewed Don Rettrick, so his is coming up. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, so, but it's really, for me, I'm, I'm excited about um, getting the word out. I've asked a few of the kids that I met at South by Southwest if they'd like to be on my show and they're like, oh, yes. And, I, you know, they were like, their voices were amazing. So I think my job is to get the stories out, um, try to collect more ideas, keep doing some play shots for fun, you know, and, and um, I still want to do some traveling to other places just to be able to show what's happening uh, because America is just... We have a we have some problems here in our educational system, and other places have moved way beyond us. And it's not about the scores; it's about the learning. Our, our many, many, many people are not prepared for their future, and uh, and you can't blame just technology. No. Uh, they're going to have to be retrained, and they're going to have. I can't be a victim in this world. You're going to have to fight for yourself. And that's the piece that I'm seeing this um, type of victim attitude. And we've got to figure out how to change that so we can get people to move and change that so they can self-advocate and find a, a road for themselves. So it's not just going to be in school. We're going to have to have a, a learning continuum to help people after school, retrain and look at ways that they can be the best they can be so they can survive. Does that make sense? No, yeah, you're you're spot on. And you know, i got to share an example of, of what we did as a county that, you know, really just worth people taking note of if they haven't already done something like this themselves. But so Virginia's in the process of redefining what the profile of a graduate will look like and we get to, I guess, have some control over that based on the locality. And um, we were smart enough as a county to bring in 10 students. Three of them um, actually came from my class, and then four were in high school, three from another middle school. Um, And they got to shape uh, kind of the skills and attitudes and knowledge that they thought that they would need by the time they graduate in 22, uh, 2022. And uh, I tell you, I mean, we weren't needed. Like the adults didn't have to be there. The kids were so, um, they were so polite and respectful and they had open minds and they disagreed, but they knew how to do it. And, you know, it was just, it was such a great uh, direction and example of what adults should be doing. And that is getting out of the way uh, and giving the kids what they need because they are more than capable of figuring that out on their own. Isn't that interesting? I did the uh, presentation at um, with Rose Colby and we did a whole thing on profile of a graduate and we used the example from Virginia. Well. So I used it not for the state, but it would be fun to see what your kids did. It would be nice because um, our whole thing was what does a student need to earn a handshake at graduation? That's our speech. I mean, our yeah. it was a work. It was a play shop. <laughs> yeah. There and and the whole thing is is that um, we've we still are using you know 
um, 20th century criteria in many, many schools. We need to look at what's going to happen for these kids in 2020, 2022, 2030. Life is changing. So another thing I'm working on is design thinking with the um, Sustainable Development Goals, the UN. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you know about those. Yeah, yeah. We, we did a project on those uh, in my civics class this year. Then you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Here they are. They're seven. You know, these amazing goals for 2030, and they've done a lot of work putting in facts and figures and and resources for teachers and students to investigate what that would look like to end poverty, to you know, end hunger. Um, if we look at global issues and then look what we do locally, that's right there. What if we change the curriculum to really be authentic and real world? Uh, anyway, I can I get kind of <laughs> excited about this. <laughs> no, it, it's very exciting, and you know I think that's really important for kids. You know they they're living in a world where social media is king, and you know they they want to be a part of what's going on in the world, but they have to understand too that. Everyone involved that you know that that has ten million followers is doing something locally or, or started doing something locally first, and for them to be able to be empowered to do those things uh, is really special. And and since you were talking about profile um, in Virginia, I, I have to share. So uh, there were two common themes that kept being brought up by the students of ultimately what we had to do as a school system to basically meet their needs and it came up and, and the two things were basically we need to to be intentional about being inclusive and we needed to remove labels because it divided people so labels like the gifted class labels like the advanced class and what was so ironic is that the kids that were leading this charge here um more than half of them were in those programs so uh, it was just really interesting to hear. Yeah, um, I, I could just say as someone who worked with gifted children and also um, those with, that were, you know, labeled other learning disabilities and things, they could give kids one label. <laughs> and no one is one label. Yeah. That's the problem, is we are a whole child with, a whole person with multiple dimensions. And we might be gifted, and like, uh, like my son's gifted in music doesn't mean he's okay in some other fields. He, he needs, he needs to look at himself as a whole child and a whole person. And that's what we need to de define ourselves. Um, and that's why I'm doing the thing with the why. I'm, I'm actually looking at figuring out how you define your why. Why are you here? What is your purpose? What are you passionate about? And what can we do to help you uh, explore that? And it might change. I mean, some of us are, you know, passionate about skateboarding when we're young, but when we're older, we might find something else. But how do you know how to do that? How do you know how to explore it? And why are we holding you back? <laughs> yeah. Why can't we let you do that? Right. And you know what I mean? That's why I love what you're doing. Oh, it's just, 
you know, the, the other thing, you know, you talk about PLN a lot. I think one of the greatest benefits about really growing or even just getting started with, you know, your professional learning network is that you, you get to hear people like you share these stories and you talk about these things and you realize that, you know, the conversations around education and change aren't always the negative ones that you may or may not hear in the cafeteria or in the teacher's lunchroom. And so that, it's just a huge piece that, you know, there are, there are people ready and willing to change or students ready and willing to change. And like you said, we, we should encourage that. We should not get in the way of those things. Well, the main thing is trying to get the people at the top to understand that you're only there because of all of us. <laughs> Everyone is part of this. Yeah. And so what I love is talking to people like Randy Ziegenfuss, is a, um, he's a superintendent in Pennsylvania, and he runs a podcast show also, too, actually. And he talks about shared leadership, um, why it's so important to um, really get everyone's voice in the picture and find out that I he couldn't do it without him. And one of the things I found out about him and so many others that were superintendents is they were music educators before. And when you're a music educator and you're teaching music, you're building an orchestra where everyone is part of it. Mm. And if you use that analogy of we're building an orchestra together, I may be up here conducting you, but I can't do it without you. And that's maybe we need to look at it. How do we work together that, um, in fact, I can't remember who it is right now, but our uh, principals, they don't have principals' offices. They said, as soon as I have that office, it closes the door and it puts me in a different role. I'll have an office that is more open that anybody can use. And I spend a lot of my time outside of that office. That's how I learn. And that's how I help. And so it's a matter of looking at your role in a different lens. Barbara, I appreciate this conversation <laughs> today. And we really talked about some big issue, uh, big hot button things. And it's just, uh, it's refreshing to hear someone that, that's worked uh, the way you have towards making some change. Um, but uh, I can't let you off that easy. I have a uh, confession that I have stolen Vogue magazines. Uh, 73 questions, 76 questions, whatever it is, and I've, I've taken a few of them. So before we get out of here, i got a, a few questions for you, and the goal is for you to just answer them as quickly as possible. You think you're, re- <laughs> think you're ready for this? All right. So okay. first one is a book that you read that has positively shaped you. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that because I've had so many. Um, I, I read one called Creativity and Flow. It's through, it's Chexford Mahali's book on creativity. That helped me a lot understand what it means to be innovative. Um, there's so many. I, I, I have like hundreds on my shelf. Can only say one. Can't go. Can't go. I like that one though. All right. So, who okay, should everyone okay. instead of you, or not just you, uh, but who should everyone be following in education right now? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> I've got so many. I can't. I can only say one. 
can only say one. I'll give you two. I'll give you two. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to do one that, um, I'm going to say Katie Martin, Katie Martin, EDU, who just wrote a wonderful book called Learner-Centered Innovation. Um, I just think it's wonderful. And, oh my gosh, I have so many, I can't tell you, this is, this is too hard. Well, you can, um, when we post the episode, you can just list all of the people that everyone should follow. Everyone in my, uh, oh, see, I have so many. Hey, I have a new one coming out is Dr. Daryl Adams. He just, he's a hip hop superintendent. That's the next one coming out. And he has a hip hop album about the education nation. So Dr. Daryl Adams will be a fun one to follow when you listen to these. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the next one is, is less, uh, controversial coffee, tea, or water. Coffee. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Same. Uh, favorite band of all time? Oh, my gosh. You're going to die when you hear this. Okay. Metallica. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, all right. So if I you... love them. I put it on and I dance around the room. <laughs> <clears throat> so if you, could, uh, if you could sing a duet with anyone, would it be Metallica or would you go with someone else? Oh, mm. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> well, I look like Bette Midler. I'd love to someday meet her and do it. I can't sing, so I just would mouth it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, all right, so since you're in the Oakland area, this one might get you some stairs too, but best baseball team. <laughs> Well, I have to say the A's because I love those guys. I love them. Um, I used to work, my office used to be right below theirs, and they used to give me tickets for the kids and stuff. I think they're they're very, they they do a lot for my community. That's great. All right, so if you could eat with three people uh, that are alive today, anyone in the world, who would it be with? Oh, gosh. I love Obama. <laughs> I'd love to sit down and thank him for what he did. Yep. Um, I really like Ellen DeGeneres because mm-hmm. she's so generous. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me see the last one. Um, oh, my gosh. I don't know who the last one would be. Maybe maybe Paul McCartney. I was in love with him when I was little. Mm-hmm. I just still think he's amazing. <laughs> Oh, he he really is, and th- those are three those are three good ones. So, all right, let's say you know you get the invite, and and they all want to sit down with you and and have dinner. So, where are you guys going to eat? Oh, I don't. Let's see, where am I going to eat? Um, I'm going to. I'll say any place they want to go. I'm there because <laughs> I'm. I do not have any special place, really. I I just love to travel so send me a ticket okay all right so the next two questions the last two questions are about advice so what is the best advice that you personally have ever received uh be myself and uh, well actually i could say my mom said this is basically find what you love and do what you love and so that's what i'm doing 
That's great. So next and final question is about advice too, but this is advice that you would give any kid that's getting ready to start high school next year. Find your voice and make sure you use it. That's great advice. they got to use their voice. I didn't when I was in high school. I just was compliant and just sat there and didn't do anything that I really wanted to do. So I wasted those, those four years. I didn't find my voice until college. I know exactly what you mean. So, Barbara, I know where to find you and all of your amazing work, but uh, for everyone that is uh, just being introduced to you and wants to know more, where can they find you? I have Rethinking Learning at BarbaraBray.net, and my podcasts are there. I'm on Twitter, um, May 27, and I have a page on Facebook, Rethinking Learning, uh, you can go there, and I'm all over if you search for me, for Barbara Gray. Um, does that help? Yep. <laughs> I think that works. All right, Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show today, and I look forward to hearing more about what you're doing. One well, before you go. Yeah. Um, if you listen to the podcast, they're on iTunes, so you can download them. You can put them on there, and I'd love people leaving a review for some of these wonderful people. Just let them know that you get it on, because that's the piece that's hard, and you, after you do them, you don't know what people think. No, uh, and I will I will second that, that same advice, and, and I will just say that um, some of the guests, you know, Barbara hasn't said who who's coming next, but uh, some of the guests that she already has, I mean, these are, these are amazing people uh, in the education space, and if you're looking somewhere to get started, uh, wanting to make a change, uh, I would listen to Barbara's podcast and, and listen to these uh, great educators she has on there. Thank you so much. And you also can listen to the podcast on Anchor, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, FM, and Pocket Casts. Make sure to turn on your notifications on and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at NVHC. And see y'all in the next episode. <laughs>